Mark chapter 12. Had a good day yesterday. Thank you to those that prayed. Uh, I drove to Richmond for an ODAX meeting, left the house 5.30 in the morning. By the way, 5.30 in the morning, Interstate 81 already covered up. 5.30 in the morning. I don't understand it. I appreciate truckers and all that. I want to know what they're carrying where because our shelves are still empty at Walmart. But anyway, uh, went to Richmond, had the meeting, spent some time with my mom. Mom had a good day yesterday. She was very, very with it and lucid. Um, and I'm very thankful for that. I always like to see that. And uh, we had a good, good visit. And then, uh, and then my wife uh, had me run some errands for her on the way back. So that was good for her. And I got home. Mark chapter 12, verse number 13. And they sent unto Jesus certain of the Pharisees and of the Herodians to catch him in his words. And when they were come, they say unto him, Master, we know that thou art true and carest for no man. By the way, that doesn't mean that he doesn't care about people. It means he's not concerned with what people think. For thou regardest not the person of men, but teachest the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? Shall we give or shall we not give? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said unto them, Why tempt ye me? Bring me a penny that I may see it. And they brought it. He saith unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? They said unto him, Caesar's. Jesus answering said unto them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Last week we talked about the massacre that took place because of foolishness. You remember... um, In the preceding verses, Jesus told them a parable about this man that planted a vineyard and he sent sent his servants to come and collect his share and the laborers beat some and killed some and finally ended up killing his son. And the whole thing was a a parable that was meant to to send a message to these these Jewish folks. Uh, There was was a parallel with Isaiah chapter 5, and they would have understood that. There was a a production that he put on. You have a scene, you have actors, you have a climax, and you have a twist. And then he he made a pronouncement. Um, He rehearses to them what they said and makes a pronouncement and then a proclamation. Even at the end of it, he offered himself as their Messiah. Even then they could have received him, and they didn't. And because of the way that they responded to that particular exchange, Jesus more or less took his hands off the situation, and ultimately a massacre took place in 70 A.D. when Titus, the Roman general, came in and raised the city and took out the temple and everything else. Now what we see in our, um, in our text today, that's not right. That should be 13 through 17. You're already there. It's okay. We see that the ruling jewels have ascended. Jewels. Jews. Will y'all pray for me? I'm just having a hard time tonight speaking. And in my line of work, that's not good. I'll be candid with you. I'm a little, I'm a little off center because you don't know how many times I look at Earl while I'm preaching. Because Earl is my resident expert on all things Jewish. And if I look over there and he's nodding, I know I'm okay. But if he looks at me funny, I know that I'm going to get a question from him later. 
Here's hoping I get a question from him later. Anyway, the ruling Jews have assembled a team of Pharisees and Herodians. These are normally bitter enemies. We'll talk about that later. Luke calls them spies. (laughs) Luke's a little more direct. He calls them spies. And their goal is to catch Jesus in his words. That word catch literally means to snare, to take down in hunting, or to land in fishing. Somebody that knows what they're doing hunting, they know that there's a certain way to conduct yourself, and there's a certain way to set things up, and there's a certain way to to go about it if you want to be successful. They have left no stone unturned. They have set a trap for Jesus, and they're ready to take him out. If they can back Jesus into a corner... He will be unable to escape this best laid plan. But we're going to see from the passage, and now think about this. We we talked about a massacre because of foolishness. Before that, we talked about mountain-moving faith. Now we're going to see miserable failures. They tried to catch him. They tried to trap him. But not only did they fail, they weren't even close, y'all. They weren't even close. So, Father, would you help us tonight? I can't remember if I prayed or not. But it doesn't hurt to pray again. Lord, would you help me to rightly divide your word of truth tonight? May I be a help and encouragement to your people. May we glean from it what we need. God, there's a lot of needs represented in here tonight, but I especially ask that you be with Earl. Could be he's in surgery right now if they've been able to get him in there fast enough. Lord, uh, if it's your will, I ask you to spare his life. But Lord, if it's not, I rejoice in knowing what he'll, he'll enjoy. And I look forward to seeing him again. I'm concerned for him, Lord. But I know he's in good hands. So Lord, would you help him? Would you help us tonight as we look to your word? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we begin in verse number 13 with the designated troublemakers. What you've got, uh, let's read it, verse 13. And they send unto him certain of the Pharisees and of the Herodians to catch him in his words. Now, you know the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're, they're, they're groups that are usually divergent, but it is even more so Pharisees and Herodians. Because you've got the Pharisees who are the conservative group, the Sadducees that are the liberal group, and then the Herodians, they're just hated. They can't stand them. And here's why. Because at least the Pharisees and the Sadducees are united in their disdain for Rome. They're united in their desire to stay uniquely Jewish. But the Herodians, the Herodians are people that are supporters of Herod. Herod is the Roman placed king over Israel, he's not really, he's not at all qualified to be their king. He's not even Jewish. He's Idumean, which means he's an Edomite. He's not even, he's not even a Jew. But Rome has put him in place, Herod the Great, and then his son, and then his brother, and he's put them in place, and these Herodians are pro-Herod, and they are pro-Rome in that they see an opportunity, let's just go ahead and work with Rome and see what we can get out of it. Can you imagine why these other Jews hated these Herodians? And yet, the Pharisees and the Herodians worked together because they had a common problem, and his name was Jesus. 
Again, we see that a mutual enemy in Christ can make for that, it's a great old term, strange bedfellows. Now listen closely to this. Christians need to be united against the world because I assure you the world is united against Christians. Now, does that mean that we compromise our doctrine? Certainly not. Does that mean that we turn our back on everything we've been taught from the Word of God? Certainly not. But y'all, we have got to stop fighting over silly things that don't matter, and Christians need to get together and start rowing in the same direction. Because the world is rowing in the right direction, in what they think is the right direction. They're rowing together. It's an amazing thing. John chapter 15, verse 18, Jesus said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you're of the world, the world would love his own, but because you're not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant's not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. Jesus is saying, among other things, listen, they hated me, they're going to hate you, they're united against us. So we, we better start getting our act together. Wouldn't you say? these designated troublemakers, and they're sent in for the purpose of trapping, of snaring, of catching Jesus in his words. They're going to use his words against him. You ever done that to somebody? We love our kids in our school. We really do. But this idea that kids never listen is not true. They listen to what they want to listen to. Because I can't tell you how many times I've had a student say to me, but, but you said, hmm? and they know how to catch you in just the right thing. <laughs> gotcha. But you said, well, that's what they're trying to do here. Oh, but Jesus, you said. Now, you may pull that over on me from time to time, but we're going to find out they weren't going to pull it over on Jesus. They begin with a disingenuous tribute. Verse number 14. And when they were come, now remember they're spies, they're bad guys. When they were come, they say unto him, Master, we know that thou art true and carest for no man. For thou regardest not the person of men but teach us the way of God in truth. Do you think they meant a word of that? Not a syllable. Not a letter. This was disingenuous. It was empty flattery, and Jesus saw right through it. You know, you know flattery and gossip. You know what the difference is between those? Flattery is what you'd say to somebody's face, but not behind their back. Gossip is what you'd say behind their back, but not to their face. They're both wrong. If I wouldn't say it to your back and to your face, I shouldn't say it. Right? Flattery. Disingenuous. And so now we see that everything's set for the designed trap 
the designed trap. They've got this all planned out. We're still in verse 14. When they were come, they said to him, Master, we know that thou art true and carest for no man, for thou regardest not the person of men, but teachest the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? Shall we give or shall we not give? I am happy to sit with anybody and discuss and even debate truth if it's done in good faith. If someone is genuinely trying to find the truth, I'm happy to help them with it. But have you ever encountered somebody that was obvious pretty quick? They have no desire to get to the truth. They just want to argue. They just want to win. They just want to prove you wrong. Don't waste your time with that. Don't waste your time with that. And God will give you wisdom to know when that's what's going on. Don't waste your time with it. There have been times in my life, and I hated to do it, but there's been times in my life that symbolically I had to kind of, I just realized we weren't getting anywhere, and I had to shake the dust off of my shoes and move on. Because for, for every person that's out there that won't hear the gospel, that won't hear the truth, there's somebody out there that will. So... We see this design trap. They thought they had a perfect one too. They were ready. And here's what they thought they were doing. They thought they were leaving Jesus with but two options. And both of them were bad. So here's what's going to happen. If he says, yes, you should pay the tribute, then he's going to look like he's on the side of the Romans. And the Jews are going to hate him for it. But... If he says, don't pay it, then the Herodians are going to run straight to their buddies in the Roman government and say, he's saying not to pay your taxes. And then he becomes an enemy of Rome. Y'all, we've got him. Ha! We've got him. That was their design, designed trap. These designated troublemakers offer a disingenuous tribute. They lay their design trap, but they don't realize that they're dealing with a very discerning thinker. Verse 15. Shall we give or shall we not give? But he, Jesus, knowing their hypocrisy, said unto them, Why tempt ye me? What are you doing? Why tempt ye me? Bring me a penny that I may see it. Obviously, Jesus saw right through this, and he was ready for this, just like he was always ready for every time they tried this. Now, here's something that's interesting. Wouldn't you love to be able to handle situations like this? Wouldn't you love to have that kind of wisdom? Wouldn't you love to have that kind of ability? Do you know what? You do. Jesus promised you would. Our problem is we don't claim it. I can prove it. Luke chapter 12, verse 11. And when they bring you into the synagogues and into magistrates and powers, take you no thought how or what thing you shall answer or what you shall say. For the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what ye ought to say. If you'll be willing and let him use you, 
He'll give you this kind of insight. He'll give you this kind of wisdom. Let me give you a side note. Why did Jesus ask for a penny? Real easy, obvious answer. He didn't have one. A couple things to glean from that. Now, some would say, well, of course he didn't have one because Jews, Jews didn't carry these. They were Roman in origin, and they were considered unclean. It was dirty money, and they didn't carry them. And one of the reasons they didn't like to carry them was because they felt like it was a violation of Exodus 20, verse 3, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. He had Caesar's face on it. That, and it was a Gentile coin, and so, you know, they didn't care. And it's true, they didn't carry them. But did they have to have them? Yeah, they had to have at least one a year. Because a denarii, which is this penny, it was one day's wages, and every person had to pay one denarii, one penny, every year to the Roman government. Now, here's the thing. Here's what's so odious about this tax. Now, the Romans, they, they knew all about taxes. They taxed your property. They taxed your income. They taxed your food. They taxed your house. They taxed your boat. They taxed it. They're just like America. They taxed everything. Don't get me started. Okay. By the way, I haven't gotten my property taxes yet. I think the Lord knows my heart is not yet strong enough. Maybe. But you know what's so odious about this particular tax? This tax was on nothing. It was the tax you paid for the privilege of being alive. And basically, it was Rome's way of saying, we own you. So that's, that's, that's insulting, isn't it? It's offensive. And they hated it just because just of what it stood for. But the fact is, everybody had to have at least one, whether you wanted to carry it or not, because the Romans didn't take their temple money. The Romans didn't take their shekels. They wanted that denarii. They wanted that penny. And so everybody had to hold it at least once in a year because that's how you paid it. So why didn't Jesus have one? Well, evidently that year had passed and he had already paid his and now he's only days away from Calvary. What does he need with money? He didn't need it. He's beyond all that now. And so he brings this penny in, this day's wages, and he uses it as an illustration. So this design trap, this disingenuous tribute, comes right up against a discerning thinker. And then what happens? I love this word. Jesus takes a deft turn. You know what deft means? It means effective. A very effective turn. He pivots. Verse 16. And they brought it, this penny. He saith unto them, whose is this image and superscription? They said unto him, Caesar's. And Jesus answering said unto them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Now, I must be careful and make sure you understand this. We are taught to render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but please understand not everything belongs to Caesar. I've heard people try to justify certain political movements and taxes and everything else. The Bible says rendered, but not everything is Caesar's. I kind of want to go off on another side sermon on that. 
Your kids aren't Caesars. Your home isn't Caesars. This church isn't Caesars. That school over there and the daycare within it isn't Caesars. And we'll not give it to him. As long as I'm pastor here, we won't do it. Anyway, let's leave that sermon for another day, shall we? He uses the word render, which literally means to pay what is owed. And he puts the responsibility right back on the hearers. They're trying to catch him, and he just kind of deflects it right back at them. And now they have to deal with it. Man, that's deft. That's effective right there. And can I just tell you, intellectually, it didn't even break a sweat. These guys had planned and planned and everything. Man, we got him now. Jesus didn't even break a sweat. And that brings us finally to the doctrines that are taught. This story teaches us a couple of things. First of all, it tells us something about Christians and government. Now, everything I'm about to say needs to be, needs to run through the prism of we always obey the highest authority, okay? So in our home, if, if Claire tells Asher to do something, he really doesn't have to unless we endure her that, that authority in that situation. So if he doesn't want to do it, then he appeals to a higher authority. So he appeals to me. And if I back her up and I say, yes, Asher, you should do that, then he appeals to the highest authority in our home, his mother. Now, we laugh and we talk about the husband being the head of the home, but let me tell you something. My son already has it ingrained in his head, and Claire did too. Mom's the last word on most things. Except when it's something he knows mom's probably going to say no about. Right now, he's into bomb pops. You know, the red, white, and blue pops, popsicles. He loves them. And if he wants a bomb pop at 8.30 at night before he goes to bed, he doesn't ask mom. Dad, can I have a bomb pop? Because the highest authority is going to tell him no. Well, that was just a silly waste of time. But anyway, we always obey the highest authority. So I take it like this. Which is the higher authority? The random musings of a low-level magistrate or United States Constitution? Constitution's a higher authority. What's the highest authority? Word of God. And that's why Peter said in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, Peter, the other apostles, answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. So if a law is passed in this country saying you can't gather for worship, sorry, we got to do it. Now, we might adjust how we do it, and we might might be more sneaky about it like they are in China, but we still got to do it, right? Because we ought to obey God, who said not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. And by the way, he said that during the reign of Nero. Ought to be God rather than men. But that being said, 
Are we responsible as Christians to be obedient to government? And the answer is yes. As long as it doesn't contradict the word of God, the answer is yes. Romans 13, verse 1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there's no other power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Who did government come from? God. Now, that doesn't mean every government's good, but government is from God. There's three institutions. God did the family first, then government with Noah, and then the church. Those are the three. And they all came from God. And we have a responsibility to all three. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Will thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger, to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, you must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For this cause pay you tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute unto whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Y'all, I hate paying taxes. I hate it. And it makes it worse that I know that they're spending it in every possible wrong way imaginable. But I can't get away from the fact that the Bible says to do it. We're on a slippery slope to socialism in this country. Will you still do it? I got to. Remember a church up in the Midwest years ago decided to take a stand. And they didn't believe that they should have to withhold taxes and their employees' paychecks. And so they stopped doing it. They just stopped. And the, and, the, and the government came in and chained the doors of that church and shut it down. And it hadn't existed since that I know of. Here's my question. What did they accomplish? What did they accomplish? Now, y'all, I, I know. Man, I got cold here all of a sudden. Granite Christian Academy. We operate under what's called a religious exemption, which essentially amounts to a license to not have a license. I happen to think we shouldn't even need that. I happen to think that our First Amendment right Regarding our freedom of worship, we, shouldn't, we should not have to file any paperwork with the government. But every year, we do. Why? Because I can't point to Scripture and tell you it's wrong. The health department comes in and checks the place out. You know what? Fire department comes in and says, okay, everything looks good. Is that a hassle? Sometimes. Is it anti-scriptural? No, it's not. But there's some Christians that they have gotten so off, off of their rockers about this thing that they blow their testimony into a thousand pieces to try and prove some political point. If I get pulled over by a police officer, that is not the moment for me to be a sovereign citizen. That is the moment for me to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ. I'm cold. 1 Peter 2, verse 13. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors. Governors? You remember some of the governors we've had? 
as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing you may be put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. 1 Timothy 2, verse 1, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that they may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is the good, good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Yeah, but Andy... They didn't know anything about Joe Biden. They didn't know anything about Ralph Northam. They weren't, they weren't under a Congress that is currently debating whether or not a man is a man and a woman is a woman. They, they didn't foresee all of that, no. All three of those passages I just read to you, 1 Peter, 1 Timothy, and Romans were written under the rule of a maniacal psychopath named Nero. Now, we've had some bad, bad leaders in this country, but none of them have approached Nero's status. And if Paul says, I'm going to submit to government under Nero, if Peter says, I'm going to submit to government under Nero, then how much more should we be the best citizens around? There shouldn't be better Americans than Christians. So, Andy, if they come around and demand your guns, you're going to give them? Nope. Wait a minute. You just said if it doesn't contradict Scripture, but that does. My Bible tells me that I'm, if I don't provide for my family, I'm worse than an infidel, and that includes their safety. So I would take that to mean that I ought to obey God rather than men. I really struggled with this with the whole COVID thing because I had to walk a tightrope and every pastor like me had to walk a tightrope between, between keeping our people safe but not compromising to the government because we had a time where the government was telling us not to assemble ourselves together and I struggled with that. And the only way that I slept at night was I thought, well, I've got to treat this the same way as when it snows. If it's dangerous for people, I need to protect my people. But there came a point that it it didn't seem dangerous enough to me to stop meeting together anymore. It was a tough thing. Not to sound pitiful, but did you know know the number of pastors that quit during COVID went up 10%? Because they didn't know what to do. None of us got trained at this in Bible college. What to do during a global pandemic? None of us know what to do. But if they come to me and they tell me, well, I'm going to tell you now, if you preach from your pulpit that homosexuality is a sin, that's a hate crime and you're going to jail, then I've got to go to jail. Because I ought to be God rather than men. But that doesn't mean we look for ways to be Offensive and rebellious. Well, Andy, what about our forefathers in America? They rebelled against the government, yes, and they had biblical reasons to do so. And maybe, just maybe, in our lifetime, there comes a point where we have biblical reasons to rebel against our government. I don't think we're quite there yet, but it could happen. Oh, this is going up on YouTube. Pastor claims it's time to... Re- no, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying if, if it goes against God's word, then we've got to do something. So what is Jesus teaching us here? Christians have responsibility to pray for and obey government leaders except when it goes against Scripture. That's what he's telling us. But he's also telling us another. Here's the other doctrine. 
the superiority of God. They actually thought, they actually thought in their puny little minds that they were going to trap Jesus. But I'd like to remind you that God says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither my ways your ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now here's the question. We look at these guys, and if we're honest, if you'll forgive me this term, we look at these guys, these Pharisees and Herodians, and we think, man, what a bunch of idiots. They really think that they're going to cheat and, 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 uh, and confuse and trap Jesus? They really think that? All right, let's make it personal. How many times in our life do we think we know better than God? I'm telling on myself here a little bit. Have you ever tried to manipulate your prayer to force God into doing what you wanted him to do? Now, Lord, you know what I said? Yeah, I know what you said. The fact is, our brains are just as pea-sized as theirs was. What makes us better is ours is given over to him. God will use a pea-sized brain if it's his. If it belongs to him. So we see that. We see that Jesus tried to teach us a couple of things. Now, what happens next? Well, then they come back to him. Moses wrote unto us, a man's brother died and his wife leave, leave his wife leave his wife behind him and leave no children. His brother should take his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Basically, a man has a wife, he dies, so the brother takes her and he dies, so the brother takes her and he dies, and he does this seven times. Then who's, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? What a dumb question. When in the history of ever has that ever happened? That's right up there with... Is God so powerful that he can make a rock that he can't move? That's not logical. It's not useful. It's not helpful. And neither was this. I want you to notice what Jesus said, verse 24. And this is our focus moving into the rest of this chapter. Jesus answering said unto them, Do you not therefore err, because you know not the Scriptures, neither the power of God? I believe, among other things, he's saying, you want to have power of God? You better know this book. Because if you don't know this book, you'll have no power. You'll have no power. I have certain goals for this church by the time I'm done. I've told you, if God will let me, if I can make it to 70, I'll have pastored here 35 years. That doesn't mean when I turn 70 that y'all, you know, push me out the door, but I might do that when I'm 60 or 50. But one of my goals is when I'm done here, I hope that Fellowship Baptist Church is the most biblically literate church you've ever seen. Those people know their Bibles. More importantly than that, they live their Bibles. Because let's be honest, 
We sent a lot of churches out there, had all kinds of numbers. And they took the pastor's word for everything, and then when the pastor disappeared, the church fell apart. Good churches study the Bible publicly. That's what we're doing right now. Great churches study the Bible privately. That's what you need to do when you go home. If we'll do that, we will have the power of God.